going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Wildlife Command Center podcast. So it's been a while. I've been doing a lot of stuff. So I wanted to, first off, thank you guys for jumping on here with me. Thank you for listening and subscribing. If you haven't yet, please leave us an awesome five-star review. That really does help out the pod. And I love doing this, so I'm going to keep at it. I've been gone for a while. I went on a couple of trips, one to see my mother for her reception, like her wedding reception. They had a wedding like a year ago, but then wanted to give everybody a chance to come to the reception. So they had that many, many months later. So we all teamed up and went out and visited for that one. And then the week after that was the Total Archery Challenge in Utah. That was a ton of fun. Got to see my good friends out there and then shoot a bunch of awesome targets up at altitude at canyons and Park City. That was a blast. So as well as moving out a roommate of mine who needed some assistance, (laughs) Uh, if you know, you know, I've been working on that pretty diligently over the past few weeks. So that is all good on the home front. But as you can see by the title today, I mostly wanted to talk about my first big game hunt and my first big game failure. So this was a couple of years ago in Illinois, as a matter of fact, where I used to live, where I went to high school, not too far outside of St. Joseph, Illinois, where your boy was a Spartan (laughs) and it was for whitetail deer. So a buddy of mine has property out there, a decent many acres along this creek. And he said that he gets whitetail down there all the time. And he wasn't going to hunt that year because they were in the process of like buying a house and moving and stuff like that and going back and forth between their two properties. So he's like, sure, go for it. You know, none of the bucks though, we're going to let those walk. And so I went out there for a doe hunt. So I was like all hot to trot. I was really excited because this was my first big game hunt ever. I just got my new bow, you know, shooting the crap out of it. And I get out there in October, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. It was October. It was the start of their archery season. And so the, one of the big things was like, no does with fawns, you know what I mean? And you know, that's just good practice. Any does with fawns or like cow elk with calves, you let them walk. We want the fawns and calves to live And there's plenty of other animals that are like uh, a couple years old that don't have offspring or they're they're like uh, taking a break between heats basically and having offspring. So any of those animals, they had plenty of deer on the property. So I get there, I get all set up, you know, like I fly in and I was all freaking excited and I go... I get get dressed up first because I was just excited to get out there and hunt. And then we go to a gas station and get a tag and find out, can't hunt the first day. Like that's to help combat poaching. You can't like buy an over the counter tag and then hunt that same day. So like that's to help defend against people who like shoot a deer and then go and buy their tag, you know? So got my tag. I'm like, all right, no big deal. So the next morning I get up at what I thought was enough time. I thought it would be completely dark. It was 95% dark, but it was not dark enough. It was not dark enough. I should have gotten up at like three or something like that to walk into the stand. I'm like totally new to 
big game hunting, deer hunting, that whole shtick. So I was mostly going to be hunting in a stand, um, waiting for deer in these cleared out areas that he'd used for years and years, you know, to take his deer. But I had slowly walked all the way to the stand and I was like just turning like the last left to walk into the clearing that I had to get into to access the sand as like, as I turned was a doe and two fawns right there, right in the clearing. And I come around that corner (laughs) and I freeze in like this super awkward knee bent position. Right. And I'm like, I'm like slightly slumped over knees bent and I freeze. And then eventually the doe turns around and was like, what? is that and she does like the pawing motion that they do and then she did the little thing where they bend their head down slightly move it while keeping their eyes on you to go you into moving they basically like tempt you into making a movement that's how they trick predators so that they go down like barely touch the grass with their lips and then lift their head back up to stare at you and get like a better look And then she did that a couple of times, a couple of like paws on the ground, pawing. You know, they have hooves, they don't have paws. (laughs) And then eventually it was like, she does like this whistle that basically is like, nope, don't like it. We're getting the crap out of here. And so her and her little fawns ran off and I was just like, shoot, man. Now anybody within a couple hundred yards, any other deer, I've now just been notified that something in that area is not good. So I'm like, Dang it, man. This is so lame. So I'm like, whatever. It's still crazy dark. So there's still a lot of time for me to sit, basically. So I hop up in the stand. It's a permanent stand. So it's like a a big giant chair with a ladder to get up into it. And so I crawl up into the stand and I start my sit. And then for the next several, several hours, I do see a few deer, which is pretty cool. Two spikes, which are yearling males spike has to do with like their antler growth. They just have these little tiny spikes, you know, maybe like anywhere from like three to six inch spikes on their head, just one little anther, or maybe I think there were forkies, which is like a spike that has a little fork in the top of it. So not on the menu because I had just bought a doe tag. Unfortunately, you can't shoot those. Or I think in some states you can, if they're like, if the antlers are short enough. But anyway, I think towards the end of that sit, basically, I saw a doe, but she was like crazy far away. And only for maybe a second as she was crossing the lane, at least a hundred yards away. And it was just a quick crossing. She didn't stop at all. Didn't give me a shot. Plus I was so new to Archie at that point. There's no way that I'm going to take a hundred yard shot, you know? So I sat till about 10, so about a six-hour sit, if I'm not mistaken, you know, four to 10. And then I went back inside because, you know, by then I'm, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I got to go to the bathroom, and I'm, I'm tired just from the sitting and the few times where my adrenaline spiked, so I was a little physically tired, you know what I mean, just from, from the rush of a deer coming in. That was pretty cool. And unfortunately, they were all spikes, no shots on does. So then break for lunch, I go catch a nap. And then I head back out about four, maybe three or four-ish, I think closer to four-ish. 
and then I sit till it's too dark to see. Again, same situation. And I only had a few days to hunt, right? I, I didn't preface that. I think I had like three and a half top to bottom days, basically. Initially, that's what I thought. I thought I was at least going to have the evening hunt of the first day when I flew in, and I didn't have that. So that knocks out basically one hunt, like a half day, let's say. So I go back out that evening, same situation. I see a few spikes and a doe with fawns. So again, no shot opportunities, but it's still cool. You know, get to see deer up close. They have no idea you're even there. You know, like your clothes that you have, your camouflage is descented. Basically, that's all the Eastern hunters descent their clothes so that the deer can't smell you up in the stand and they walk right underneath you. And so that was pretty cool. So unsuccessful day one, full day, top to bottom. The next morning I get up even earlier and I get out there truly with no light, having to navigate by like a a red light headlamp so that I can actually see you know, because you're going super, super quiet. You can't just tromps out there because you're going to alert everything. So I get out there. Next morning, same situation. The same doe with her two fawns, her twins, and multiple spikes. And that morning, not a single doe. You know, I didn't even have that lone doe far away. No single does. So again, another six-hour sit with no results. I get back to the cabin after the morning. Uh, The house, it's not even a cabin, it's a house. (laughs) I forgot. We're not in the West here, we're in the East. So get back to the house. And I talk it over with a couple of my buddies who weren't there. UB Guyverson, some of you know him. He is a very accomplished whitetail hunter in his youth. So I asked him his suggestions because... I have to fly out the next day, midday-ish. So like I basically have that evening's hunt and the next morning's hunt and that's it. So like I'm coming down to the wire basically. And I ask him like, what should I do, man? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I give him all of my details. And he's like, you should probably, yeah. he's like, if I were you, I would go still hunt. The evening hunt's gonna be there. Their evening movement through, you should go still hunt. And what still hunting is, it's not technically still hunting. It should be coined differently, but you head out into the woods and you basically take one or two steps and then you freeze for a couple of minutes, scanning, 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 one or two steps, freeze, scanning, 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 looking for movement, looking for animals. So I'm like, screw it. And, And I go out earlier. I'm like, I'm just... I'm going to go do that. I'm going to traverse all of your property. I'm going to find something because there are deer there. You know, I've seen deer. I've seen spikes. I've seen does with fawns. There's got to be more does, does without fawns or just more regardless, you know? And I saw a bunch of good scrapes from big bucks, but those were not on the radar at this point in time. So I head out about like 1 p.m. Yeah, I head out about 1 p.m. And so their property sits on this high flat area. And then their area that they hunt is like a river bottom, basically like a creek bottom, you know? So I slowly hunt the top side all the way down. And then I, I hit the slope, basically the hill. And as I, as, (laughs) as soon as I come, as soon as I crest that hill where I can peek down 10 does, 
I'm not even kidding you. 10 does just foraging on the hill, 30 yards max from me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is your opportunity. And they're feeding perpendicular to me closer. Like, so they were like to my 10 o'clock and they're feeding towards my 12 o'clock. They're feeding like right in front of me. Oh my gosh, man. And so for those of you who have big game hunted before, know what buck or bull fever is, meaning you start to shake like a leaf and freak the crap out because all of your work and like everything that you've put in is it's building up to this moment. You know what I mean? And if you've heard my podcast before, you know that I've had this happen before. That's how I missed my first bull elk that I did end up killing. But the first shot, I was freaking. I was shaking like a leaf, right? So this is the very first time that I had felt this before, buck fever, even though it's just a, just a bunch of does. So I had already had an arrow knocked in anticipation for this. So, because so like when you still hunt, if you have an arrow, or if you're shooting with a bow, then you you hunt with an arrow knocked so that you don't have to add that extra movement and time and lose that time by putting the arrow on your bow. So I just have to get my release clipped onto my bow. They had kind of meandered into the 12 o'clock position. They're right in front of me. And one of them is like they're feeding sideways against me. Perfect right? Perfect. Like they're giving me broadside shots. Maybe it wasn't 10. It was probably like six does, let's say, right? And then one of them hooks right, her right, and starts feeding up the hill. They're eating acorns right now. So starts feeding up the hill towards me. And uh, I was on the tippity top of this hill and not much of me is exposed. I had moved a little bit to get my bow to give myself the shot basically, because you know, at first, when I first saw them, it was just my head peeking over this hill. I was standing. So I had taken a few steps. They hadn't seen me because there's next to nothing of my body exposed yet. And I took a few more steps to give myself the shot. And she is like right in front of me, maybe 30 yards. So I draw back. So she's facing me head down, grabbing acorns. I draw back that little bit of movement, you know, she's like, what's that? Looks up at me, freezes. And my inexperienced behind, I just rush the shot. I'm just like, "Ah, okay. And I just, (laughs) I don't do any of the process that I go through now, which is draw back, anchor well, get situated, you know, Level your pin, level your bubble, and start the process of balancing, getting balanced. Nope, I like drew back one, two, maybe, and then shot. It was a frontal shot. And, you know, I was drawing 70 pounds back then, a pretty decently heavy arrow. Uh, She runs off after the shot, they all take off. Because the you know the sound of a bow is foreign to them. Like, what the heck was that? And so they all bail. And I'm like looking as she's running away. You know, in these situations, your adrenaline is so high that it kind of it slows down how you perceive time. You know, if you guys have ever hunted or been in a fight or any of these super, super high adrenaline situations, you know that time tends to slow down. So 
in the probable three seconds that it takes her to get out of sight, I'm watching her the whole way. And she's she didn't give me any indication that she was hit. And so I'm like, shoot, I missed. Yeah, because you're an idiot. You didn't go through any of the process that you're supposed to go through. So I'm like, shoot, okay. Just breathe. You whiffed it, you dummy. And those does took off. I'm like, man, okay. Just take a breath. Breathe. You don't want to miss again. There might be another opportunity. You know, it's like 115 by now, 120 in the afternoon. And I'm like, okay, this is lame. So, all right, we're going to continue to still hunt. They didn't whistle at me. You know, they didn't, they didn't do that sound at me. They just ran off. And so that sound doesn't carry as far as that whistle does, right? So there's probably other deer in the area. So we're just going to keep hunting. So I take a few steps down to go look close to where she was, you know, for blood or my arrow or anything. And this is on that hill, on that incline. And uh, I do that very, very slowly, still going through the motions of still hunting, looking, looking, looking. And it takes me five to 10 minutes to get all the way down there. And I'm looking in the area. I don't see anything. I don't see any blood. I don't see any hair. Don't see my arrow, but there's a lot of leaf litter. So it, and I shoot fairly heavy. So it probably just disappeared into the ground. I'm like, son of a gun. Okay, that was lame. And as I like get my bearings again, more does. Another group of does is coming the exact same direction as those other ones were along that hillside, eating the same food, eating those acorns, right? They're at kind of at the base of the hill though. And so they're making their way down, making their way the same way perpendicular to me at the bottom of the hill. And they get about the same distance. I'm like, all right, Chris, you're going to do this right this time, right? We're going to get settled in. We're going to chill. We're going to get the pin where we want it. We're going to level it. We're going to level the bubble. And we're going to do the shot process the way you're supposed to do it. So a doe comes in. I'm like, okay, that one's perfect right there. She stops and is uh, feeding on the ground. I draw back. Nobody saw me. Shout out to Sitka. (laughs) Shout out to Sitka Camouflage. I was completely invisible to these jokers. If you've Western hunted before, or even Eastern hunted, you might know that there is a part that I skipped. And I'll talk about that here in a second. There's a part of the process that I skipped that I do not skip anymore. So I draw back, get my pin, leveled, and I have an adjustable sight. Get my pin where I want it, level my bubble. She's frozen, let's say. She's feeding. She has, she's not moving at all. I'm like, all right, you're mine now, baby. And I release. And it sounded like a good hit. And then she runs off, takes off. And I do the same thing. You know, I watch her go, goes on to the neighbor's property. Okay, not a big deal. Like, they're cool with their neighbors. They'll let me retrieve a deer, you know? And I'm like, all right, nice. Sounded like a good hit. Cool. Take a breather. So the first thing you do is you freeze 
let them, if they're hit, let them die. You don't want to spook them any further, right? So you just kind of chill for a few minutes. With elk, it's like 30 minutes to an hour. 30 minutes if you know it was a good hit, an hour if you don't know if it was a good hit before you start looking and like going and looking for blood and starting the track, right? So I waited maybe 15, 20 minutes exactly where I was. I sat down and I'm like, uh, you know, waited that time, got back up and I went over to the spot. I'm like, oh yeah, gonna find me a bloody arrow. Go walk over to where she was shot. Then I find my arrow. All right, there it is. It's in the ground. I like look at it. I'm like, okay, a bunch of hair. Just a bunch of hair, you know, from the arrow. And I'm like, all right, there's my arrow. I pull it out of the ground. I'm like, full pass through. I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, I don't really see any blood. That's a little weird because I know it was a good hit. Sounded like a good hit, right? Looking at this arrow with the, through a microscope, there's no blood on this thing. But I'm like, but there's all this hair. A few of you who are experienced hunters already know what happened. What do you mean? Like, what did I not do? I didn't take the range. I didn't range her. I didn't use my range finder and see just how far she was. And I'm still new, you know, to bow hunting. I had only maybe had my bow for two or three months at this point. I think I got it in August. Yes, I got it in August. So, and it was October. So only a few months And I forgot to range. And at that point, I wasn't good at measuring ranges. And I gave her a haircut. Literally just trimmed the hair off her back. So not a drop of blood. Didn't wound her. Just trimmed some of her hair. So that deer was A-OK. And I'm like, shoot, man. Not again. Heartbroken. And I was uh, getting all down on myself and pitiful. I'm like, man, this sucks. So I turned back around and I'm rethinking the first one, right? Because I'm like, I definitely, I ranged that one. That one I ranged. I had the range perfect. And I'm pretty sure I hit that deer. I was just tweaking so hard that I didn't listen for a shot, (laughs) you know, on that first deer that was frontal. And so I go back up. And I'm looking around that area and about six yards low and to the right of the shot, I find the tip of the arrow that I shot, just the last five inches of it with the fletching. And so I had some hope. I'm like, wait a minute. There's no way this would have broken off and been over here if I didn't hit that deer. So I'm like, shoot, man. So I start looking around, looking around. And as soon as I found that, I called my buddies up at the cabin, <laughs> up at the house. I'm like, hey, I think I explained the situation. Hey, I think I hit this deer. I don't see any blood. Uh, <laughs> so they come down and they start looking for me. He's like way more versed in tracking than me. I've only ever been a falconer up until this point, right? So I don't know anything about tracking blood trails, or tracking big game. So we start looking, we start looking. <laughs> Like 30 minutes in, we find one minuscule speck of blood. 
about another 15 yards away from where that arrow was in the direction of where she ran. And this was like, oh, manna from heaven. A speck, a speck. Still have that picture somewhere. I bet I can find it. One measly speck of blood. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what's one thing that we do? What's one thing that whitetail people do when they can't find, and and other folks, but mostly whitetail hunters, because their cover is so thick where they hunt, right? Well, they have two Decorat Terriers. And now they're not hounds by any stretch of the imagination. Like they don't have incredible hound noses, but it's still a dog. Like their noses are still vastly better than ours. So he goes back, he gets them and I'm like, all right, you know, (laughs) these dogs aren't blood trackers. Find the deer, find the deer. And they're terriers, man. You know, they're, they're not quite, they don't really know what they're doing as far as this is. I forgot to mention, these are two young dogs, like one's two and one is one of my puppies, like six months old or maybe even younger at this point. <laughs> so she was just like, doop, 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 doop. had no idea what's going on. I'm just having fun, you know? And so we are scouring this area. I mean, like bent over at 90 degree angles, taking a step and then like working that whole 180 degrees from where you're standing, looking down, looking for more blood take a step, search that entire 180 degrees and like you start searching in a grid, right? And then I think about three hours later, another 20 or 30 yards in the direction that the doe ran, we find another tiny, minuscule speck of blood. Ah, another, we find another one. (laughs) oh man and I was like oh, I, dude I know I hit that freaking deer man anyway so it's been several hours by this point and he's like hey I'm gonna take the dogs back up but what you should do so this area that the deer ran into was like a grid planted zone that they had been told by like you know I don't know Illinois Department of Wildlife hey you know plant this up this way and we'll give you a, I don't know, something. Or it could have just been them trying to make the area better for whitetails. So there was a bunch of young trees planted in grid with tall grass grown everywhere around it. But what that did make it so that it was easier for me to search in a grid. And he told me like some of the things like sometimes if they're hit, you know, they'll go a hundred plus yards or whatever, and then find a secluded area to die, which they do. You know, they'll run away from the danger a couple hundred yards or so and go under somewhere nice and cool to pass away quietly, right? So I searched this entire area. Like, I mean, I searched until until dark that night, walking this grid, looking under every single tree and doing basically a slightly expedited version of that trailing technique. You know, look down. Check, 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 check. Take a few steps. Check, 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 check. Looking for deer, looking for blood, anything that I can find. And I searched that entire area. I became really good (laughs) at looking, man. And there was a few times I thought I saw it. I got my hopes up, but then nothing. Found a few more deer, live, unhindered deer, you know, (laughs) totally just other deer that were in the area. We even searched a little bit across the street 
you know, because if you went a decent amount of ways past on that property, it crossed the road. And I looked over there, I looked by the creek, all up along everywhere. And then again, the next morning, nothing. And then a few days later, or about a week later, after I had left, they said, hey, there was a bunch of uh, bald eagles hanging out down the creek and crows. So what that says is I shot that deer in a way that it was still able to go several hundred yards. I mean, over half a mile, if not more, by what they were saying about how far it was that they saw those eagles. And it died over there. So extreme bummer. I was not able to harvest it. But eagles got it. And I'm sure that they thought she was delicious. So bit of a bummer. But... You know, I was able to take everything that I messed up in this hunt and apply it to next year's elk hunt for which I was successful. So you can go listen to that podcast. It's a few episodes ago, my Nevada bull elk hunt. So everything that I failed in this whitetail doe hunt helped me moving forward. And now I do every all of those things and that has led me to kill multiple elk Many, 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 many turkeys. I filled every single turkey tag that I've ever had. What have I? I mean, that's over 10. What's it been like? It's, I think it's been like two and a half years that I've been hunting turkeys now. So over 10 tags, you get three spring and then two fall tags. So five, five, and then an additional spring or something like that. I don't know. Many, many turkeys in the hunting style, not calling them in, like in spot and stock, you know? So with that, I have to do all of that, my shot process, you know, as well as ranging those dang birds. And I filled all my tags that way. So all of that has led to me being, like all that failure has led to me being an even better hunter. So it was all for the betterment of my hunting. (laughs) Here in a few weeks, I'm going to Utah for another spike elk hunt. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm freaking stoked. I can't wait. After this, uh, after I'm finished recording, I'm going to go do some training to get my body in shape for that hunt. And I'm super excited for that is in the third week of August. And it is late July that I'm recording this. All right, guys, thank you for jumping on with me and listening to the Wildlife Command Center podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Starr. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed this, please share it with somebody. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us an awesome five-star review. And if you have any wildlife problems in Sacramento, California, Reno, Nevada, Kansas City, Missouri, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, or St. Louis, Missouri, please Give Wildlife Command Center a shout and we can get out there and resolve your animal issues no matter what they are. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great one. God bless. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus, download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.